We try to play with great pace. We try to play with great pace. Ran a lot of pick and roll, pick and pop uh, type actions. Oh, you'll see us play. Some people look at the guy next to him and say, what the hell was that shot? Hell, I could have been Gronk before Gronk was Gronk. And welcome back to another episode of A Bangerangs and Daggers. As always, I'm one of the main hosts, Kevin Knight, out here in Washington, D.C. Uh, thunderstorm may be rolling through, and it's been a while since we've last been on. But with me tonight, we have a special guest, uh, Chris, with formerly of the Omaha World Herald, has come on to talk to us about his experience covering Nebraska basketball uh, for quite a few years with the World Herald and while a student at Nebraska. How are you doing tonight, Chris? I'm good. I didn't realize you lived in D.C., and now I'm supremely jealous. <laughs> well, uh, interestingly, um, I, there was actually a shooting literally across the street from our apartment building a, a little while ago, so um, <laughs> not not. Not the greatest. Uh, <laughs> I am now significantly. Right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm now significantly less jealous. Um, <laughs> but I did. I, I spent a summer in D.C. and like loved it. And it's funny because I when I came back, I um, told everybody that I knew that I wanted to go back as soon as humanly possible. And then I have literally not gone back yet and was annoyed because like since then, Nebraska, when I was covering Nebraska, they like played in Maryland football. They played basketball at one point. Um, which I'm sure we'll get to a little bit today. At one point they were slated to go, like there was a path for them in the NCAA, in the NCAA tournament to play in DC. Um, and then none of, I wasn't able to go to any of those things. So anytime anybody mentions that, I'm always like, oh, I wish I, I wish I was there. Yeah, actually I, um, so I'm, I'm actually coming up on a full decade as a DC resident this summer. Um, but I was at, the football game out here in 2018 mm -hmm. uh, first Nebraska basketball game that I actually went to was here as well back in the big 10 tournament. Um, and then I went to the game last year where they almost knocked off Maryland. Mm -hmm. And when they had back-to-back -back games this season, um, I was fortunate enough with coordination to be credentialed, to be able to attend um, both those um, quick, quick drive, thankfully from uh, downtown DC. Um, not, not quite to, <laughs> Best time to be taking Metro uh, in the middle it's of not. the pandemic, but <laughs> at, at least it wasn't on fire uh, much in the last year. So got yeah, that going for us. Yeah, that, that's always good. When I was there, it was just uh, it stopped most of the time I was on it. So that was always fun. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of a uh, lot of issues there, but uh, we, we won't uh, get too into the, the weeds on that, so to speak. But um, yeah, I mean, just uh, to, to start off, just, you know, um, you, I was telling you before we started recording, there was a parting piece that you wrote with the World Herald, just kind of talking about uh, the difference of Nebraska between the Tim Miles era and the Fred Hoiberg era. Um, and I think that's as good of a, a point to start for that. Like, what what is kind of your perspective on where Nebraska stands as a basketball program um, in the Big Ten, in the NCAA landscape? You know, just, I mean, what what are some of your initial comments uh, to lead in on that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I thought a lot about this during the end of the Miles era and the beginning of Fred um, because there was just so much tension between people that I talked to in the basketball program and people I talked to in the athletic department who basically had two different 
conflicting opinions about priorities, basically. Um, there was a lot of feeling uh, with the basketball program during Tim Miles era that they were not adequately, adequately supported, that they couldn't do what they wanted to do, that everything they did was met with um, like hesitance or basically they weren't allowed to do the things they wanted to do yet. They're being told you need to win or you're going to get fired. Um, and that was a, that was a big frustration. Um, the most easy, like on the surface thing to bring up would be like coaching salary. Um, and Tim was typically pretty low on that. Um, but there was one story that I did, or there was one spreadsheet that I made, um, basically for years and years, the Nebraska athletic department did not feel the need to, as, as the athletic department as a whole was making more and more money, it was putting less money into the basketball program. So, um, there was one point where over like a five-year period, the football budget had doubled, um, the volleyball budget had almost doubled. Um, the rifle budget had almost doubled, um, and basketball had declined by like 11%, I think it was. Um, and so basically they, you know, the second largest revenue generating sport wasn't, wasn't being a, wasn't being prioritized. Um, now the counterbalance to that is, um, it was being prioritized more under miles than it was under doc Sadler. Right. When Doc was a coach, he was recruiting on uh, um, commercial flights. Right. So he was like driving to Lincoln Airport and taking a Delta flight somewhere to recruit. Tim had a private plane. Um, Tim had made more money than Doc. Uh, he had Pinnacle Bank Arena. He had a really great facility. Um, so it was just this tension where it was, you know, the athletic department felt like they were doing enough and the basketball program felt like they were not doing enough. And, uh, you know, you always heard grumbles. Um, it wasn't as much when, when I was around, but particularly when Lee Barfnick was covering the team, um, about like Tim's contract. And, um, so the big, so all this to say, I don't mean to dredge all this up all that to say at the beginning of the time I started covering basketball, there was this tension and that tension continued through Tim's final year. And, um, with Fred Hoiberg, there has been a dramatic switch where he is one of the top, I believe it's still one of the top 15 highest paid college basketball coaches. Um, he was given basically free reign to, um, to hire the, the assistant coaches that he wanted to pay them what they wanted. Matt Adlamassi, whenever I was covering the team, was the second highest paid assistant coach in the Big Ten. That, that was not the case with Tim's staff. Um, that the assistant coaching pool like almost doubled, I think, um, salary wise for Fred. Um, and really the way Bill Moose has handled Fred Hoiberg has been similar to the way that Bill Moose handled Scott Frost, which was like, you can do whatever you need, like, let us know. Um, and, uh, that was, that was just not the case with Tim. I mean, a small example of that would be, um, you know, Tim at one point wanted to fire, uh, or, change the head strength coach um for the men's basketball team and he was not able to he was not allowed to um fred hoberg recently changed the head strength coach um for the men's basketball program so like they're allowing fred to do more things and, and spending wise when i spoke earlier just about 
the decline of it spending wise, it's obviously boomed just because you're paying so much more for Fred. You're paying so much more for all the assistant coaches. Um, they're putting money toward recruiting. Like it's just, they've made it a priority. Um, and that's what you have to do. Like if you're going to try and take basketball seriously, then you have to put your money where your mouth is. Um, and I think, um, that that's continued. And obviously Fred's first two years haven't gone very well. Um, but they've got the first, you know, five-star recruit signed. They've got, um, from what I understand, a lot of interest and in a lot of high, high-level recruits now. Um, I think that I think that if you asked Tim what one of the largest issues was with the job, it would be support. I don't think that you would get that same answer from Fred. I think Fred's gotten all the support that he's probably needed. It's just not really translated yet. Onto the, onto the floor. I apologize. I'm a rambler. So that was your first introduction to that, but that that's kind of, that's kind of what I would think. Yeah, no problem. Um, and to, to kind of hit on some of that, I've actually got that uh, article that you wrote up on um, from that 2014 to 2018 um, era that you cite spending on men's basketball increased by just 25.8% during that era. That was 15th most out of Nebraska's 19 sports. That's Whereas right. in contrast, obviously football is a big sport in Nebraska. It's the big sport at just about every school in the big 10 really. And uh, in, in college athletics, it increased 100.7% during that era. But in comparison, sports that frankly aren't revenue makers and aren't really much of any even fan interest uh rifle increased 62.4 percent and women's track 42 and a half percent uh volleyball obviously big deal in nebraska increased 40.3 percent uh, but we are talking about a program that breaks even with uh, i'm sorry i i say breaks even um you know it makes makes a revenue in the six figure range which is uh just certainly impressive but not exactly uh paying the bills for everybody else so to speak when it comes to two revenue sports now in comparison nebraska hoops uh revenue expenses and profit in spring 2017 is the easiest number that i found to pull before um we we sat down to record as an example the uh cornhuskers ranked 11th in total revenue among the Big Ten programs in 2017. Uh, they ranked 10th in total expenses. Uh, so they did spend just a little bit more than they took in, uh, but in terms of ranking, at least within the Big Ten, but they were still down in the bottom and uh, well into the bottom half. And they ranked 12th in total profit. Mm-hmm. So, um, and just to clarify, obviously, Rutgers doesn't make a profit in basketball, but beyond that, everybody else does. Um, Iowa is the only program that ranked below Nebraska that year. Now, granted, the 16-17 season wasn't exactly the height of Miles' tenure in terms of performance. Um, I forget if they were the 13th or 14th seed that year, but that was uh, the year that I caught them at the Washington, D.C. Mm. Big Ten Conference Tournament, for example. But, I mean, not exactly impressive numbers. Um, Even even with the fan support in terms of filling the arena, um, you know, I mean, I I saw one time um, after I had been to a game at PBA as a fan up in the upper deck, um, I was, bought some tickets while I was back in Nebraska with my spouse uh, for a game for the first time. So that season, I got hit up 
on their email list for, you know, renew for basketball tickets. I think it was what a uh, hundred, hundred bucks for third tier uh, balcony seats for the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, uh, <laughs> so um, I, I'm not sure if uh, you would necessarily be uh, aware of this, Chris, but uh, our listeners definitely, are. I'm actually a Michigan state first guy and mm-hmm. Nebraska second by marriage. So, I mean, c- compared to that, it, it's certainly unique to me, the idea that a season ticket package for basketball is, is about a hundred bucks. Um, so it's it just, it, it's something that's interesting to me in perspective of, you know, looking at it in the miles era of what, what they spent versus what basketball can get. And, and I mean, we, we talk about PBA, it, it definitely is a great fan experience. Um, so I, I apologize because I'm not familiar. Did you get to travel much with basketball when you were covering them? A little bit, kind of, kind of hit or miss. Um, it kind of depended. I will say just to, just to real quick, well, first off, thank you for those numbers. I super appreciate it. It's been a long time since I wrote that story. Um, but the reason why it's important is um, here's, here'd be my analogy. Um, at the end of every year, every millennial goes to their Spotify and Spotify curates their, their uh, you know, most listened to of the year and most listened to artists and all these things. And everybody gets all excited and posts them on their Twitter and Instagram, all that stuff. And the reason why that's so fascinating is because what we focus on is important and what we do the most with, like what we spend the most time with says something about us. Right. So like if I listen to a lot of X type of music, I can remember why or where I was or what was important to me at that time. Right. And so if I asked you, if you look at that, that spreadsheet and I ask you what's important to Nebraska, if you're going to tell me that men's basketball is not important, because it's 25th or excuse me, because it was 15th out of 19 schools. Right. And I remember there was a story that I, that I never published that I wrote that um, I worked on for like a month before Tim was fired um, uh, kind of about this stuff. And the reporting ended up getting published like in later installments later, just in like different stories. But the story essentially was supposed to run on the Sunday after Tim got fired. And it was, um, supposed to be about, you know, did Nebraska support Tim the right way or the men's basketball program over the last, you know, however many years. And so I had a meeting with Bill Moose about this. And uh, when I showed up to the interview, he had a list like printed off list that he went through of all the things that they felt that they had done. And um, while that, th- those things were, you know, basically what we're just talking about, right? He basically listened to the exact same things that we're talking about. But what was clear to me was, especially after Tim was gone and Fred was hired, that there was just such a drastic shift that they were willing to put resources towards somebody else, which, you know, Tim's, Tim finished exactly 500, if I remember correctly. And Fred Hoiberg is a, you know, he won Big 12 Coach of the Year. He's Fred freaking Hoiberg, right? Like there's a name that comes with that. Um, and so the, the interesting thing that we're talking about here is just where do you put your priorities? And at the time in the mid 2010s, Nebraska basketball, even with that exciting run um, and even with a head coach kind of begging for more support, even though it wasn't necessarily coming on the floor, the, the athletic department just didn't quite put as much in as a lot of people would 
argue would, would again, you can just look at that spreadsheet and say. So I apologize for that tangent, but that's why that's why I think it's important because it's not just numbers and we're not trying to just go nitty gritty, but the bigger picture here is the larger narrative of like, where was actually support there or not? Yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're completely right. I mean, I should be fully honest too, rather than just uh, cite uh, Nebraska specifically, below them in revenue and below them in expenses is a name that schools or uh, anybody in the Big Ten would be familiar with, which is Purdue. Uh, Purdue, which obviously is a major basketball school, uh, leads the Big Ten in total number of conference titles in the sport total overall, even over Indiana, uh, is right below Nebraska for that specific year's data in terms of revenue and is actually two down. Uh, Illinois ranks below Nebraska and Purdue below Illinois in terms of expenses. Um, So they spend less and they earn less than Nebraska does. Although they, to be fair, Nebraska does have a very, very glitzy, beautiful arena by all means, which does uh, rank second in the Big Ten in terms of fan attendance overall, right behind Wisconsin. Uh, but I mean, it, it's uh, it, it's not necessarily a apples and or, uh, apples and apples comparison. It can be a little bit of an apples and oranges, but also important exactly because you said, which is what's important in terms of the overall perspective. Um, I think that's that is something else that I uh, kind of want bring up as well and I, I suppose now is as good of segue as ever um you know recently there was a piece by tom chattel talking about the big 10 and baseball and in it he had a line that for somebody like me just I, i'm not really sure what the meaning was other than to just disparage basketball in a way that may, it does it suggest the the attitude of the husker fan base in general, or is it just a, a weird line that he used that doesn't really mean anything when he says, what is it with you guys in hoops anyway? I mean, it is basketball in an important sport for Nebraska fans in general. I mean, obviously volleyball is obviously football is, but wh- where does basketball rank in the overall hierarchy beyond just filling up the stadium, which is something that Nebraska fans do impressively for pretty much every sport. Well, I, I know and love Tom, and this is where he's coming from. Uh, Tom believes, and I think he's actually kind of right. Um, the big 10 is actually a basketball conference and the big 12 though, you know, the big 12 is a big basketball, you know, has a lot of big basketball schools and whatever is a little bit, a little bit, maybe more of a football conference. That would, that is the theory that Tom's coming from the theory being, um, and, and, and the, the evidence of that would be, Look at how the Big Ten treated football this last year and how much of a train wreck it was compared to there was never a conversation that they were ever going to not have that Big Ten tournament um, and get basketball going and play non-conference games and all that stuff. So uh, uh, I think that's where he's coming from. and the argument would be Nebraska is a football school and a basketball conference. Um, I think that it's, I think it's pretty accurate to be completely honest. I can name more schools in the big 10. I think that care more about basketball than football. Um, Purdue, you know, I, I like soft off my head, right. I would think 
Illinois, Purdue, Indiana, Michigan State, Michigan, um, Ohio State, uh, Iowa. Um, I just I think that they I think these these athletic departments care about basketball more. I think the the um, money maker is obviously football. So that's where I think that would come from. Uh, but if you want to if you want to talk specifically to Nebraska, is that what your question is? Yeah, I mean I I, I can't hear. Uh... Growing up when I did, I, I'm going to disagree. Michigan fans are not basketball first. They they love the success sure, sure, that sure. Yeah, brought. Yeah. But no, I mean, they're they're very much Ohio State, Michigan. They're both very much football first schools. Um, I'm saying that like, they like no, care. I, yeah, like, yeah. They, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but yeah, no, no, no. You're totally right. Yeah, they're I mean, totally they're, they're, Michigan fans were definitely more bandwagon basketball this past season. Um, the sport that they care more about, definitely football. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean they were, they were looking to probably have much more success in basketball and they knew that they were going to be somewhat more successful in basketball than they were in football. So for a specific season this past year, I would definitely agree that they were more excited about basketball, but, um, but yeah, no, I, exactly that. So I just, no, no, no. the Michigan fans disparage yeah. how much <laughs> unimportant basketball is as a sport as I was growing up when Tom Izzo was just wiping the floor with Tommy Amaker. I yeah. uh, can't, can't not say anything, but no, it, it's exactly specific to, to Nebraska. Well, real quick, I'm going to derail you too. So you're a big 10 guy. What do you, what do you think? Like, do you think the big 10 cares about basketball or football more? Cause you've obviously followed it for longer than I have. So I'm curious what you think. Yeah. I mean, I, I think fans care more about football personally. Okay. I mean, ba- basketball is at many schools, on the same plane as football. But I, I think honestly, fans care more about football, but what they talk about more is going to be based on which program is more successful. Um, if you're at a program like Indiana and Purdue, it's Indi- it's the state of Indiana. Yeah. Basketball is more important there. So setting those two schools aside, even at Michigan State, you know, it's a basketball school, but you know, I mean, when the football program is successful, football is more popular. You know, Mark D'Antonio was just as popular to more popular from 2013 to 2015 than Tom Izzo and the basketball team were. You know, um, football is important, but basketball has a level of significance that I think is almost on par school to school and year to year, if that makes sense. It's sure, not to say yeah, that everybody's yeah. a bandwagon fan, but the football's first, but basketball is talked about just as much or more at schools where it's more successful or equally successful. Sure. And so the thing that I'm thinking of is like, if it's a fall week, right. And there's like this midnight madness thing that happens on like a Tuesday or Wednesday, right. Which a bunch of schools have Michigan state has it. KU has it, all these things. If there's a fall, let's say it's a midnight madness on a, on a Wednesday. And there's also a football game, a home football game on Saturday of that same week on Monday, what are students more excited about? That's what, that's what I'm thinking of, right? Which my assumption would be at Michigan State, that'd be basketball, or at Illinois, it'd be basketball. Um, and so that's where I see where Tom is coming from. Um, but we'll, 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 we'll get off this. But this is interesting because I, I think that you're, you're definitely onto something too. I think at Nebraska, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I've always viewed, I, I think this sounds, uh, I don't know. I think, I think volleyball is more important. I think people view volleyball as more important. I think that men's basketball has the ability to be more important, 
but uh, with basketball, there is interest. I think there's probably more like volume wise interest than volleyball, just because there's more men's basketball fans in the world than volleyball. Um, but one, look at that spreadsheet we just looked at, right? So if you are paying toward what you think is important, volleyball was way up there. Um, they're really successful. It's something that you should be proud of. Uh, it's a powerhouse. John Cook knows what he's doing. Obviously it's like a well-oiled machine. Like people care, people really care. Um, men's basketball, there's a lot of cynicism and there's a lot of self-deprecation and there's a lot of, um, (laughs) self-hatred that kind of comes to being a Nebraska basketball fan where, um, you never really want to fully allow yourself to give in to, hope because it's been crushed so many times and I understand that. Um, so I think that, I think that basketball is important, but I think people also give up on it somewhat easily, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, as a Detroit, sorry, as a Detroit Lions fan, I mean, I can easily relate. Definitely. Right. Totally. Totally. And I mean, as a girl, I grew up in Kansas city. I mean, Heck, I, the, the Royals and Chiefs' success just blew me away in the mid-2010s because I grew up with 100 lost Royals teams and four win Chiefs teams. Like, it's just, it was like, you know, whenever they drafted Patrick Mahomes, I was like, why? Are, okay, sure. Like, I don't know, you know? And now, you know, we need to build a statue of him the size of Liberty Memorial in downtown Kansas City. Um, but, like, I think, I think basketball, um, even, so what I was going to say was even in the last year, uh, there was a game that Nebraska lost pretty poorly and it was another loss for Fred Hoiberg. And there was chirping of like, well, should they have fired 10 miles? It's like, Oh my gosh, really? We're going to relitigate this. Uh, because that's that self-deprecation, that self-hatred that like, what if we did something in wrong and got in our own way and X, Y, Z, because things always go bad for Nebraska basketball. Like that's part of the fandom, right? It's part of the culture. And so on the flip side of that, if Nebraska basketball is good, I mean, heck, dude. I mean, I wish I could have been there for the high school state basketball game this year, uh, or even just the whole weekend, right? Like Hunter Styles, Chucky Hepburn. Like I was with, I can't remember what I was doing, but I was checking my phone the whole night because I was like, this is great. It's great for the state. And how many dang people were in PBA, even during a pandemic, right? The state has the ability to rally around whatever is the most popular thing. And Tim Miles' second year when they go to the tournament, I mean, Nebraska was a basketball school. Like, for a, little, for a couple months, that's what they were when they were going on that run and when they went to San Antonio. Like, they have the ability. So I think that – I think I think that volleyball is, is more, quote-unquote, important right now. But if Nebraska basketball became a 20-win every year team, yeah, I think that, that that'd be worth it. And I think that that's part of the problem – historically the problem with investment because why would you put money towards something that's not producing anything right um so one i think tom's comment was more toward big 10 focusing on basketball and prioritizing that as a conference as a like institution the big 10 the suits in chicago um and i think again kind of where we where we started was bill moose is willing to pay what he needs now for Fred, I mean, Fred Hoiberg, you don't just, you don't just willy nilly hire that guy. Um, you, I mean, you, and you don't just willy nilly pay him, you know, $5 million a year, three, uh, three and a half, maybe million dollars a year. 
Um, yeah, I want to say that sounds about right. It's yeah, in the five high is what, three range. Yeah, yeah, five is what Scott's is. Um, uh, but you don't just do that if you don't feel like you, you care about it. And clearly, that's what they're trying to do. Now it's just you know the matter of actually doing it and and getting the results on the floor. Certainly, yeah, and I mean, I also on on the the investment and two, I I should uh, not be remiss to forget to mention, yeah, I mean, they do have Hendricks Training Complex, which is one of the nicest training facilities in the Big Ten, and obviously PBA is you know in and of itself a beautiful new arena, um, relatively new, newest in the Big Ten by all means, and I mean you know, 20 plus win seasons, maybe we'd see no sit Sunday far more often. Um, sure. One thing that I, I do think is a little bit interesting of, of how the investment in these things came along is the fact that uh, the Hendricks training complex actually opened before Pinnacle Bank Arena broke ground. And so um, it's kind of an interesting situation where you have a training facility that is fairly far distance wise compared to uh, a lot of the rest of the big 10 in terms of uh, where it is in relation to where you play. Although also to be fair, Nebraska is in a unique position where PBA isn't really owned by UNL. It's, it's owned by the city of Lincoln. Um, So Mm -hmm. it's a little bit of a a unique situation there. Um, But as, as a comparison, just looking at programs that you would consider kind of the top of the big 10 in basketball um, you know, you have Indiana open cook hall in April of 2010. And while it's not attached, it's next door to uh, their assembly hall. Um, Purdue has the Mackey complex project, uh, which opened in May of 2007 and is attached to Mackey arena. Michigan state has the Berkowitz basketball complex initially opened in January, 2002 and is attached to the Breslin Center, and they have additions to the Breslin Center and Berkowitz as recently as 2017. Uh, Michigan has the William Davidson Player Development Center open in 2017, which is also attached to Chrysler Arena, uh, which they finally invested some money in, so it's not a dark dungeon. Um, Ohio State has the Schottenstein Center, which is the epitome of blowing money on a state-of-the-art, beautiful arena that does not belong at the college level, and is a great example of overbuilding and ruining your home basketball arena. But uh, that that's for another uh, topic. Uh, but that opened in the fall of 2012 and, and has um, their training facility as part of, of that that opened in 2012. Um, Maryland does not actually have their own dedicated practice facility. They only just started fundraising for that and had to obviously pause it. Um, due to COVID-19 and Illinois, um, the last one that I'm going to list is one of the sort of programs that I, I think is one that maybe Nebraska could say that they aspire to be on um, the Ubin complex opened in 1998. I, I don't even know if I said that right. Sorry if any Illinois fans hear that and uh, come at us for it. Um, but they are just breaking ground this spring on a massive renovation and expansion of it. Um, Penn State, I think, would probably be somebody that we consider a peer of Nebraska basketball at this point, also doesn't have a dedicated practice facility, but has plans in their master plan to someday build one. 
Um, but in comparison, they got kicked out of Bryce Jordan Arena in 2011 for a concert and couldn't even practice. Yeah, talk about a school that doesn't really care about basketball. Um, exactly. But but here, so so okay, couple couple quick things. One, uh, the Hendrix Complex is very nice. Um, it wasn't it wasn't going to be that nice until a booster was touring it before it was about to be finalized and said, this isn't good enough. And the athletic department Nebraska athletic department said, well, this is all the money we have and we're not willing to put more money toward it. So a booster literally gifted them a bunch of money in order to make it better, which goes toward the whole narrative of the athletic department's only going to go so much, right? Like like they were willing to settle for whatever it was going to be. Um, Now, Football is obviously a different animal, but never, that would never happen in Nebraska football. Literally, literally ever. And never, ever, especially with Scott Frost. If he wants a Diet Coke, he gets one in two seconds, right? Like it's like, no. Um, two, the physical space of being separate was also an interesting physical manifestation of the distance between the basketball program and the athletic department during that, those final months of 10 miles, because or even the final years um, because they were physically separate. And uh, the basketball administrator at the time, Mark Bain didn't have an office in that building. His office was down the, down the hall from the athletic director at Memorial stadium. So even the basketball administrator was not somebody who the basketball office or the basketball team and, you know, function felt was quote unquote on their side. You know what I mean? Um, like they, they it was kind of just felt like they were all in their own little bubble doing their own thing, not getting the support. Now this is, I, I, I understand where this is going. This is different than Bo. Uh, Bo, Bo was paranoid. And I think Miles was paranoid in some way too. Um, but Bo was, was a very like volatile, uh, <laughs> like bomb waiting to go off and very confrontational and, all that. And I think that, I think that Bo got far more support than um, in, internally than, than Miles did actually. Um, but there's some similarities there. Like there is some similarities there between like, they felt like they weren't getting what they needed to, to do to, um, to succeed. I mean, not only was there the, the um, trainer thing, but like there was an assistant coach to Miles wanted to hire that, that he was told he could not. Um uh, there was a player they wanted to recruit that they were told they could not. Um, and so, so it was just kind of like, it, you know, the only way I can describe it, it's almost like you're working in a, gosh, what are those offices called now where like you can buy, you can like rent a space uh, and work in an office building uh, in like basically remote work from an office. So it's like you're remote working from, you know, Lincoln for a company that's in Chicago yeah, so you're part a of the work scenario. Yeah, yeah we work scenario. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they felt like they were it's just there was this like physical space. Now, with Fred Hoiberg, I know that he doesn't care about that as much. Um, when he was at Iowa State, he didn't have a basketball administrator, um, and he didn't. He doesn't feel like he needs one. Uh, what he told me once was, you know, uh, they had a basketball administrator at Iowa State for a while, and he would come into Fred's office and they would talk for like 30 minutes. And he was like, it was just a waste of time. <laughs> it was like, I would tell him what was going on uh, that you could just read in the paper and it was just a waste of everybody's time. Um, 
But long story short, the, the other thing I would, I would bring up with that too is the Hendrix is great. PBA is great. I think that um, facilities for basketball, I don't want to say that they only go so far, but, you know, in 2017, 2016, 2015, they had PBA, they had the Hendrix, and five stars weren't really that interested in Nebraska. And now all of a sudden, five stars are interested in Nebraska. What is the main difference? It's the head coach. And uh, a head coach who, mind you, has been vocal about his like lack of enthusiasm about recruiting. Um, but facilities are great. Um, I think they're overemphasized. I think, uh, I think recruits like think they're cool, but they're going for the coach or they're going for the assistant coach or the opportunity. Um, Bryce McGowan's, I think, probably likes the Hendricks. I would be shocked if he said it was one of his top five reasons why he's going to Nebraska, right? And so that's why I think facilities are important. I don't think that the end all be all. Regardless, Nebraska does have nice ones, and so that helps a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm exactly there with you in the sense that if you have crappy facilities, if, if you're Penn State, you're not really going to win anybody over with that and it's going to detract from them. Right. But you know what? Wisconsin has nice practice facilities. Iowa has nice practice facilities. Mm-hmm. Northwestern has nice practice facilities. It doesn't do a whole lot for them. And I mean, they just did a whole reno on their arena. Granted, it's still uh, absolutely tiny, but I mean, at least it's really nice. It's a beautiful area to read a book in, I'm sure. <laughs> Here's what I would say, too. Here's what I would say, too. Uh, Wisconsin has had a ton of success basketball-wise in the last decade, right? Let's say the last decade, because they, they have. Um, 15 even, uh, 15, 20 years, yeah. really, since Bo Ryan came on. I mean, they're, they're the... Bo Ryan is the closest thing to challenging Tom Izzo for supremacy in the Big Ten, right. really. And I would categorize it's the Cole Center, isn't it? It's the Cole Center, is that what it's called? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I would categorize it as unremarkable. It's cool. It's nothing that blows my socks off. You know what I mean? Like it's cool. It's almost it's almost even cooler just for like a hockey arena. It's almost a cooler hockey arena than his basketball arena. Yeah, honestly, it actually is. That's probably the biggest attraction from it is the fact that it's multi-purpose and basketball isn't quite as good as hockey on the uh, sight lines and whatnot. Right. And so like, you don't need an Allen field house or uh, a present center that helps for KU uh, because you can recruit off Allen field house like crazy. And they do, you can recruit off present center. PBA is part of the piece of the pie. But the main thing in Nebraska, like the main reason you're going to get kids to Nebraska is, uh, is the head coach. And it's going to be that way until there's a tradition because you walk into Allen Fieldhouse and you can point to this spot on this floor that happened in this time and this photo of Wilt Chamberlain and look at all these All-Americans. All these, I mean, you can, that's a recruiting visit. You come to PBA and you're like, this is really cool, huh? Here's what happened at No Sit Sunday. It's pretty cool. Um, I really like PBA. It is all like... It can be a really cool environment. Most of the time, it's actually not, which people might get upset about, but a lot of sitting, a lot of golf clapping. Uh, that happens a lot. It's kind of a football crowd. Um, but again, 
if, if Nebraska is good, if it's a big game, it's awesome. It's huge. And the difference is, is that at basketball schools, quote unquote, like I, like, like Michigan state, uh, you walk into a Tuesday matchup against whoever and it's loud and it's, and that's a thing. Um, and so there's a difference there and you just, you have to have a, a good facility. You don't have to have a great one because even if you have a great one, it's going to, you're not going to beat a hand, you know, not going to beat Cameron indoor. Um, yeah. I mean, I know. actually, uh, if I can interject for a second, yeah. um, it, there's a great comparison, honestly, I, I have been to a whopping one game at PBA, so I'm not <laughs> remotely informed on this, but, um, you know, being a DC resident, I've been to a couple of Nats games and what little I know about, um, MLB, ballparks because i'll be honest i'm not really a huge baseball fan myself sorry to any listener who's offended by that um nat's ballpark gets roundly mocked for having a crowd that's essentially just a bunch of lobbyists and uh you know congressional staffers and other people who just show up to drink beer there and talk and nobody really cares about the game it's half of the ballpark there is not there to watch the game they're there to socialize and for the one game that I went to at PBA, I believe is Delaware State. Uh, it's it's during the break. There's no formal student section. The atmosphere that I got from that was the same thing. It's mm-hmm. everybody's there to kind of loosely keep track of the what's going on on the court, but they're mostly there to socialize, and that that's fine. But I mean, if if that's what it's like for games that aren't the caliber of no sit Sunday in comparison, I've been to a lot of games at the president center over my lifetime. And even when there aren't students there, the alumni come back and sit in the is which is, you know, the student section during the regular s- season. And if anything, I'm, I'm getting to the age where I'm old man yelling at clouds, making mm-hmm. the point that the alumni are louder than the students anymore. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it, not not every game can be the atmosphere of no sit Sunday. Those types of games are special, even at a program like Kansas. But at the same time, you know, what, what's the atmosphere like that? But, um, you know, going back to your exact point on the facilities, the Breslin Center didn't make Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo made the Breslin Center. Exactly. So that that's exactly is in, in the. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, th- th- that was it. I mean, the, the arena opened around 89, I want to say, under Heathcote when Izzo was an assistant. Um, you know, nowadays it's the house that Tom Izzo built is sort of the colloquial nickname in Michigan. Like high school kids like the fact that the MHSA state tournament is there because they get to play in the house that Tom Izzo built. That's right. That's the saying. Right. And and so what we're getting at too, we're circling the same point that the central point of this whole conversation too is though financially fucked a ton about the financial aspect of this, though financially Nebraska has put resources toward basketball, right? That doesn't fix everything. One, two, I'm going to stop really quick and, and say it's part of this is because they haven't won recently. So that's difficult. Okay. But, uh, Nebraska hasn't been taught what a basketball school is supposed to look like, right? Because, okay, what we're just talking about, right? You would argue Michigan State, would you argue Michigan State's a basketball school or a football school? But you said football was important. So it's still super important, right? And yet there's this basketball school, quote unquote, tradition of all these things of like the alumni coming back and 
going in the student section. Why? Because they want to make sure that it's still loud, right? Meanwhile, in Nebraska, they just sell those tickets. People come in, they sit there, they chat, whatever. Um, hardly ever is there a constant white noise of people yelling or screaming or trying to do anything to distract the opponent um, unless it's like Creighton or Iowa or it's under eight timeout close game. That's kind of, that. that's basically PBA. And that's fine, right? That's fine for a school that hasn't had a lot of success men's basketball wise. That's what you would expect. You can't fault them because, I mean, my high school was horrible. Had a horrible football team. Like they won two games my junior year, like a game. I don't know. They won like quite a few my senior year. But like, they, they, I think they won like four games from my freshman to junior year, right? So no duh, people weren't that interested in it. Why would you be? What's the investment? So there's some of that going on with Nebraska basketball too. If you start winning, that starts to build. The problem is, is that it feels like the thing we say in Nebraska football all the time is like the last 20 years, the last 20 years. Well, let's just say the last 20 years for Nebraska basketball, right? It feels like the engine has kind of started and then stalled and then stopped. And I think in order to build that tradition, you have to win and you have to win and you have to win. Not a lot, but like win 17, 18, 18, 24, 20, 18, 19. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, cause then you start to build things over and over and over again. The thing I've thought about while we were talking about this too was, well, this is going to sound so stupid, but do you remember the whole DJ cool thing with Mike Riley? Right. Where it was like the, um, the let me clear my throat thing that they played after the most famous one was after I think it was Janovich scored a touchdown against Wisconsin. Um, Nebraska actually ended up losing that game. But uh, if Mike Riley would have continued to win at Nebraska, okay, let's go live in fantasy land for a little bit. DJ cool would be a thing. That song would be a thing. You know what I mean? Like it would be a thing mm-hmm. they played at the fourth quarter, at the end of the fourth quarter. That's how you start building a tradition. That's how you start building things. Um, if Nebraska basketball was good consistently, maybe every single Sunday they would they would call a no Sunday, no matter what. You know what I mean? Like it would just be a thing. It would just be a tradition that's built. The problem is Nebraska has been good enough for some time and then not good at all that it's just, it, it, it basically deflates the balloon. And that's where the athletic department can do only so much at, at, at some point, right? Where there has to be both on the floor and in the stands, kind of that trio of buy-in. Because I tell you what, you go to a KU basketball game and the video and the audio production, the whole system is like a well-oiled, well-oiled machine. It's awesome. It's super cool. You go to a KU football game, it is not nearly as cool, you know? Because it's just, it's not that not that important right whereas i think the same thing is somewhat somewhat at nebraska too uh there's just not a lot of engagement there's not a lot it's not like an experience it's kind of like yeah go get a hot dog you know watch a couple whatever and then all right no matter what the score is under four timeout i'm gonna leave like that's the pba experience and part of it again you can't really blame them once you start winning that'll start coming you know yeah, I mean, at least there's no paper bags over their heads. So right. you know, it's, not, yes. it's not Ford Field in that regard, at least. No, so it's, it, it's got it, that going for it. It is not dipped in that. And the other thing I would say, too, I was going to say this earlier, but I forgot. Um, one final thing on facilities, too. Uh, you do commend Nebraska for going to PBA because, again, though 
PBA is probably not the quote unquote reason why someone's going to Nebraska. If you went to Nebraska and they were still playing at the Devaney and the Devaney still looks like what the Devaney looked like, they're probably not going there. You know what I mean? Like, if you, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm one of the, I probably kind of annoy my co-hosts of the podcasts who are normally on with me at uh, my jokes that I make at the expense of the big 12. And I, I probably make lots of the listeners angry given the fact that Nebraska is obviously a former member, but I mean, hats off to Nebraska for when they join the big 10, having the PBA plan in place to build it and, and really invest in, in facilities because I mean, no offense to the Big 12. Obviously, they just had another member actually join the list of national championship holders. But when you go top to bottom of strength in the conference uh, throughout their history, the Big 10 is just head and shoulders above the Big 12. You have Kansas and then you have everybody else. The Big 10, you have multiple programs with at least one national title. Big 12 is now just simply two, although to be fair, I don't count Oklahoma State because I don't count when the NIT was, frankly, the more prestigious postseason tournament than the NCAA tournament was, which is, sorry, which is what uh, you know, Oklahoma State's titles are from, is the era where the NIT was, frankly, the more prestigious tournament. Um, so it, in that regard, uh, no offense to the 12, they have Kansas. Kansas is an actual blue blood, whereas the big 10, you have Indiana, which is a has been blue blood to some degree. And you have Michigan state, which is, are they a blue blood or are they just Tom Izzo debate, which <laughs> yeah, I won't get into why that's wrong because this is a Nebraska podcast. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, and, and that, I, I think the kind of reference of, of the big 10 and the, the strength of it as a basketball conference and talking about the coaches uh, will, will kind of bring me to what I want to make as our, our final point of discussion, which is how much do you think the Hoiberg start has been stalled by uh, COVID-19 and the fact that uh, he, he really didn't inherit any favors from uh, the, the end of the Tim Miles era roster buildup and and just completely flipping it with whoever they had available to, to, to put it bluntly, really. Yeah. For, for the makeshift team that they fielded in his initial season, that is. Yeah. But I mean, to, to wrap up my own rambling, you know, I mean, you, you had Teddy Allen who was a lights out shooter, but it almost seemed like when they got rid of him uh, at the end of the season or Rather, I should say he he decided to to leave for other opportunities. It was almost sort of like a a Kobe Bryant 2004 Lakers era team where you have the Detroit Pistons playing together as a team, beating out the guy who can shoot lights out with Shaq. Yeah, I mean, first off, that first seat that first team was just so so weird. Um, I think part of what's part of what's interesting to me about the first team was they didn't have to do that. They didn't. Um, I'm sorry. Brady Hyman is probably was probably better than Eisen Drago. And if he wasn't better than they were about the same. So I don't really understand. Like, so I didn't really understand that. I also, especially because I can't shoot. And if you're going to get a five, why get him? Right. So like there were just a bunch of those small things. Um, they knew Cam Mack kind of had an attitude problem. Um, and 
I don't know. I just, I, I was so like, it was just so interesting to me. Cause I, I think that they felt like they had to disassemble what Tim miles had. And yes, they weren't going to return a lot, but they weren't going to return nothing. I mean, they, I mean, they had a couple roster spots you could fill with some recruits and you would have been okay. Um, that isn't what they did at Iowa state their first year. They kind of came in with what was there built in some transfers. Um, I mean, what was interesting is like two of their starters that first year at Iowa state was Scott Christofferson and James, I want to say James Vanderbeek, but that's not it. Um, it's Van or something, Van something, big, big dude, big, tall dude. That was a shooter. Chris Christofferson was a three point shooter too. And they did well. So those are two returning guys that they, two returning starters that they kept. Um, that didn't happen uh, at Nebraska. They felt like they needed to totally dismantle it. And so that was curious. One, number two, not only did they dismantle it, but they dismantled it with people and added people that they literally were just kind of grabbing um, and saying, you know what? I think they kind of fit this, whatever, we'll do this. And part of the reason why this happened is because people have been fed a narrative because Lars Anderson decided to tweet something in February that this that there has been this narrative that Fred Hoiberg to Nebraska was done a long time ago. That is completely false. It is not true at all. I'm a hundred percent certain about it. I appreciate Lars Anderson. I think he's a great reporter. I don't mean to doubt his sources, but they were wrong. I'm sorry. They were wrong. He ended up being correct, but it was wrong. Um, Fred did not know he was going to take the job until he took it. Uh, and he did not take it until Tim was fired and they talked to him again. I know that for a fact. And I also know that because how else would they have almost no plan of who they were going to recruit? You would think that if you were accepting a job in February, which if you accepted a job in February, that means that you were not interested in MBA jobs, which Fred was. Um, I mean, then- he, he was very much preoccupied with living on Jack's couch in East Lansing and yes. doing chalk talks with Izzo at that point in time. Yes, he like, was. That's completely obvious. So you think Tom Izzo would be like, hey, I know you're going to be, we're going to be coaching against each other, but can we talk, you know, for a week? Like that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Um, uh, even if he was itching to coach, like it just doesn't make any sense. So the proof in that pudding, I would, I would argue, is the fact that they cobbled together this random list of guys who didn't really fit. And then that changed. And so then the second year comes around and Delano Banton, Shmuel Stevenson, you know, Derek Walker, those are the three plus all the other transfers, Trey McGowan's all this stuff. Teddy Allen is a really interesting example of this too, because I like Teddy. Um, I did a big profile on the kid um, and no doubt he was a great scorer in Juco and no doubt um, he's a really good college basketball player. Um, he doesn't fit what Fred wants to do. He just doesn't. Um, but they were going to basically work around that. And so Teddy is an interesting experiment, I think, for what the fundamental issue of the first two years have been for Fred, which is trying to decide, do I adapt to my players or do I need my players to adapt to us? I mean, this last year, um, how many times did Fred say, like, we just have to stop doing what we're supposed to be doing because we can't make threes, we can't shoot, which, like, 
is ridiculous because that's the whole premise of the Hoiberg offense, right? And so he then had to adapt to his players, but he recruited them to adapt into his system, but that didn't work. And, you know, you go through your time, their time at Iowa State and rarely did they miss on a recruit because they fit right into, I mean, they just slipped him right, right in like after a year, like Monte Morris, George Niang, DeAndre Kane. I mean, all these guys, like they just fit right in and, and played really well. They didn't need to be this like startup. And so I would say the biggest issue has been um, Cam Mack leaving actually was a huge, 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 huge deal because like I wrote at the time, he was supposed to be the next like quote unquote Monte Morris. He was supposed to be what worked at Iowa state with Monte Morris. Like we, we talk a lot about George and Yang and we talk a lot about Royce white and all that stuff. But, and we also talk about like this five out system, everyone's a point guard, whatever, but it was kind of, at Iowa state, it was kind of like, yes, you know, we have this five out system and we have George Yang running the point and all that stuff, but also like Monte Morris still runs the ship. He doesn't need to score. He led the NCAA in assisted turnover ratio four straight years. Like you need a guy that's just going to, just going to dish. And that's what Cam Mack was. Cam Mack has, you know, his stat lines were so bizarre. He'd go like, you know, two for 13 from the floor, four points, 10 assists, eight rebounds. And it was like, pretty good game. Okay, cool. But that's kind of what they need, right? And so Cam Mack leaves. Um, and the system of like, everyone's going to be a point guard ends up not really working that well last year. Like Delano Banton wasn't quite what they thought it, he was going to be. Shamil Stevenson wasn't quite what they thought he was going to be. I really love Kobe Webster. I think you just put him at the point and let him go, but that wasn't really what they wanted to do with him. Trey McGowan, like it was just kind of like this traffic jam at the point. So that was kind of confusing. Um, Teddy is just a different type of teammate. And so that's a different scenario and they're not winning and that's frustrating. And uh, it's COVID and that's odd and that's weird. And um, there's all this racial injustice right before the season. And they were really, really practiced with that. Not saying that was a bad thing, but that's just, that's just a distraction is a bad word, but that's something that you're focusing on. That's just different, right? Sometimes the world, the world just felt really heavy during the basketball season last year, just the COVID everything happened with George Floyd. Like there's just a lot going on. And so that I think was part of it. Um, and so I think that there's just been a lack, I mean, I hate to say this, but there's been a lack of identity within the basketball program in terms of like, who do you want to be? Because I think they want to be Iowa, but they can't, that they don't play like Iowa a lot of the time, you know? Um, and I, Ivan's a, re- a really sweet kid. Um, I, I wish him the best. He didn't do what Nebraska wanted him to do. Like what a Fred Hoiberg five is supposed to do. And by the end of the year, he wasn't playing. And that's why he transferred. Um, so I think that's been more of the issue is trying to decide whether or not they feel like they can still play the way they want to play, even though it's been popularized and um, do it in the big 10 and get the players to actually do it. Cause I feel like they're still trying to figure that out. And I think part of that is because they, they came in and they dismantled everything and felt like they needed to build from the ground up. I was literally told once by somebody in the program, like we are literally rebuilding a program from ground zero. So what do you expect of us? Like, we're not going to be good this year. What do you expect? We're literally starting from zero. And I remember thinking like, well, you didn't really have to do that. So I think that's, that's more of the issue at like right at this second. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a, 
fairly good point on on a lot of fronts. Um, I mean, Mac was a good point guard, to be frank. Like, it was yes. he what? Yeah, uh, to to annoy our podcast manager, I'm I'm gonna reference a name that I did a lot um, a little over a season ago. I mean, he he's not gonna be Cassius Winston great, but I mean, Winston <laughs> was a one of those once in a generation college point guard type of players. So I mean, he if they had had somebody like Cam Mack who can dish the ball out a lot better than an offense that just sucks the ball into Teddy Allen like Nick Ward did uh, down in the post. I, I think it would have been a, a lot different of a season for them had they had something like that. I mean, Banton, I, I guess apparently he did have some lingering COVID issues, uh, particularly after the shutdown. Um, he lost a lot and wasn't really able to regain it in the middle of a season. No surprise there. Um, yeah, that's extremely difficult to do. And they're also doing it in the two seasons that are quite possibly the most deep and strongest that the big 10 has ever been in its entire hundred and whatever year basketball history it is. Uh, but I, I mean, lacking a point guard in that league is, is difficult and they, they didn't have one. Here's the thing I'd say too. I, one, I think it's a point guard thing Two, um, I think a lot about this. Um, not a lot. Um, but I think about this a couple years ago, uh, 10 miles last year. Okay. Um, they played Seton Hall, Creighton, and Illinois. Uh, beat Illinois, beat Creighton, beat Seton Hall. And um, I remember watching the NCAA tournament, and Illinois is a one seed. They ended up losing, obviously. Creighton was a high seed, but they ended up winning the Big, big East the next year. Seton Hall, I think they made the tournament both years. Um, with basically the same, the same core guys from Tim Miles' final year to two years later, particularly Illinois, um, you know, with Trent Frazier and Io DeSumo and uh, Georgie and uh, uh, Kofi uh, Cookburn. Like, they had the same four guys. I mean, they, they just had this core group. And um, with the way that... Fred, and you could say the same thing about Iowa too. Say, say the same thing about Iowa in the last couple of years. Um, but Luca Garza and Bohannon and all that's all those guys. Um, Joe Wieskamp, whatever. Uh, there's not one way to win in college basketball. Okay. So that's the way that these, these guys have chosen uh, to go about. But I think that that's yet another identity question. Are you going to be trans for you? and do it in a time that's different than the early 2000s when everybody's doing that, when the portal is jam packed with people um, where everybody is taking chances on kids. Um, or are you going to be a core group of couple guys and move them up through the ranks? And I don't get a sense that like, I don't really know. I don't know the answer to that question. I would have told you transfer, 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 because that's what they've been doing. But I don't know. I think it's really good news that they're bringing a lot of guys back from this year to next year. Um, I, I, you know, wish a couple wouldn't have gone other places or done different things. Um, uh, like Thor leaving like that. I think that hurts. Um, but like, I think I, I don't know whether or not they're going to, they're going to do that because again, go back to Iowa state, right? That's the baseline that we know of Fred Hoiberg. 
Yes, they were transfer you. Yes, they had a core group of guys. They had like a core group of three or four guys that came back in three years and consecutively that led them to a number three seed in NCAA tournament, a year that Fred felt like they could win the, win the tournament. Um, and I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's the plan because that theoretically was what Cam Mack is supposed to be. Cam Mack is supposed to be part of that core. Teddy Allen is supposed to be part of that core. Right now it's like Kobe Webster, Derek Walker, Trey McGowan's. Um, and hopefully that works. Right. But they're also still heavily invested in the transfer portal. And it's just a lot of moving parts. And so I, again, I just don't really know. Like, I think it's, just, I think basketball and football are in similar boats where I don't know who they are and I don't know if they know who they are and they're, they're still trying to figure it out. That's where the larger question of like, go moving conferences, just dismantles who you think you're going to be and what you should be and changing coaches as both programs have over and over again. It's just rebuilding pieces. Um, so that, again, I think that that's where my question is with basketball is like, who are you? What are your priorities? Cause I, cause I don't really know at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that actually brings up a, a really good example of the importance of returning players for production um, in that uh, the Illinois team that you referenced for the 1819 season in miles final year finished in a three-way tie for 10th place uh, went 12 or I'm, I'm sorry, seven and 13 in the big 10, 12 and 21 overall and had Desunmu and Frazier as a freshman and sophomore. The very next season, they get Kofi Coburn and proceed to a year later uh, this past season, be one of the number one seeds in the NCAA tournament yep. with one of the best tandems for uh, high post pick and roll. I mean, it, you know, you, you build that over a couple seasons and it, if we just keep, seeing a program that uh, trades off players quite as heavily as they did when they first came in and, and emptied the cupboard. Um, I, I think that that is one thing that uh, would be problematic if it's a trend that we see staying in Lincoln. Uh, I, it, it's cut down, but um, certainly to the scale that it happened at the beginning is, is problematic. Yeah. And I, I think what's interesting, like a bunch of things are rattling around in my brain right now too, where it's like, I think, this is my bias coming out. I'm completely acknowledging it. I like whatever. I think, I think the best college basketball team I've ever watched is 2008, 2009 K basketball team. Okay. 2007, 2008 when they won in 2008. Right. And they were just loaded with seniors and juniors with some freshman talent. And that was kind of how you built basketball back in like pre one and done era. Right. And the thing that so frustrated me, right after that season was Bill Self started recruiting one and dones and it did not typically go well. There, there, the team with the best quote unquote one and dones that KU's ever had, they had Andrew Wiggins and Joel Embiid on the same team and they got bounced in the second round in the tournament. That team was so frustrating and weird. Right. But like, I even think, you know, Kentucky hasn't necessarily had the crazy success in the last like eight years that they've had in the early early days with like Anthony Davis. Um, Duke is, I feel like uh, they're kind of an exception to the rule because they'll usually get the, be- the best guy. But um, I think that the, the early 2010s built in this like one and done era and everyone films like, feels like they have to do that. So there's the one and done thing. There's the transfer one and done thing. Uh, and I just feel like every year when I look through the NCAA tournament bracket um, and I see a scrappy team that's like 20 and two, 
they got a lot of talent. Like they're old because they played together for the last four years. I mean, think about, you know, this is a Nebraska podcast, right? Think about uh, the pipeline, quote unquote, from the 94, 95, you know, then basically Husker football in the nineties, right? The offensive line, they didn't play together on the field for, you know, the quote unquote varsity Nebraska team until they were like juniors or seniors. And they did it uh, together. They were all the same guys. Like they knew each other because they've been together for three or four years. And then you start playing and you build up to that. And then you're incredible uh, most of the time, right? Or a lot of the time. And so I still think that the grow incrementally really works. I think it's worked at, I mean, I think it worked at Michigan State. Yeah, I mean, for all the for all the talk of the one and done era, one basketball team has ever won the national title in the one and done era that was truly made up of almost all one and dones. And they still had a senior on the team who was extremely important to them winning the title. Right. And so, I mean, heck, the the that probably the best college team in the last decade was probably what one of those Villanova teams, and they were super old. You know, like they were old. And so this is going to maybe make some people mad, but I think Nebraska has to almost look at itself as a mid-major in a major conference. You have so many disadvantages going for you. If you can be, if you can have an advantage of, you've got a core group of guys that are seniors, right? And every three or four years, you've got a group of four or five guys who have been through the ringer together, who have finished last in the conference before, and then incrementally moved up. And then you have a chance. And that's kind of what Tim was starting to figure out a little bit. That's what they had his final two years. They had pretty good success the year before, bring everybody back. That's why there was so much hype because they were coming back and they knew each other. Um, you know, my, my dad coached, us, coached me in, as a kid. And um, the thing he used to always say was he liked watching us when I was like in eighth grade. Because I've been playing with this, these, the same group of kids for like, you know, eight years, eight, nine years. And I knew where everybody was going to be on the floor before they even got there. So did everybody else. I mean, think about if everybody thinks about like your childhood playground, right? The people that you'd always play with, you knew their, their, you know, their nuances and all these things. And just take four years of that and you, you build this chemistry that it's just so hard to build in one year. It's just so hard to build. And so that's why the transfer thing is so interesting. And the turnover thing is so interesting because yes, it kind of worked for Fred the first time, but it's also a different environment. And they also kind of had a, a good core of like important positions and really highly successful people at those positions. Um, so, yeah, I think it, yeah. it was a podcast, I think last year that I did where I broke down the numbers and I mean, I don't, I don't have them memorized, but it took him two seasons before he came close to totaling the same number of players that he picked up in the transfer portal uh, as he did in his first season coming in. And I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't doing a rebuild, pulling guys out of Juco and things like that. Like he did when he first came in, he was grabbing talented upperclassmen from programs who, you know, for whatever reason, didn't work out, whether it was off the court stuff, on the court stuff, whatever it was, um, you know, and, and he had a core group of Iowa state guys during that same run. He didn't have a team completely cobbled together of, a Zion Williamson, um, you know, he, he's not out there giving him uh, behind the scenes sneaker deals ahead of time. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, Coach K is retiring now, so can, I, I can make jokes about that, right? <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, you, you don't have, uh, uh, you know, Bill Self's assistants out there um, adding adding guys. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's a system that that works better when you have some continuity. And I I think um, in in Miles' defense, not this isn't a um, you know we shouldn't have fired Miles. I. I was saying the season when everybody is, well, we should fire him this year if he doesn't make the NCAA tournament. And I was like, you shouldn't fire him unless you have Fred Hoiberg lined up. Like, unless you have somebody who's an automatic upgrade, why would you bother? Mm-hmm. Like, it makes no sense. And, um, and, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, just, you know, you saw his final season with all the guys who were returning, they had a heck of an injury problem during some key stretches. I mean, they had some losses with those guys. But they also had some issues with injuries during key stretches as well that seemed to throw it off. So, you know, I mean, you, you need you need the returning talent, you need the influx of talent, and you need the luck with mm-hmm. having the guys you you need there on the court healthy at the right time too. Yeah, you need you need a little luck too. I, I totally agree. I, I, I get yeah. This is not a, a Tim Miles apologies podcast. I promise. Um, uh, the problem the problem was. Uh, they imploded, <laughs> you know, like there was just some things that just when, when Copeland went down, the, the season essentially was over. Uh, the mood of the whole program changed. I, in my opinion, they put a whole lot of emotional baggage into that Michigan state game at home um, that they lost by like six, um, six, it was like six to eight, maybe. Um, yeah, it sounds better. It was a close game. They was, really, yeah. really gave it their all in that one. And I have hardly ever seen a team more disappointed in a loss. I mean, they put so, and, and then they, I believe, I believe this is right. That game was like on a Tuesday. They then went to Rutgers and laid an egg and got blown out in an embarrassing loss. And that's when it started to go down. And soon after that, Copeland got hurt and then everything was, was going to crap. But I think multiple things can be true at once. Um, and I think even though things have not gone well in the first few years for Fred, um, I still think it was the right hire. I still think that because the one thing that Fred did in the early 2010s was innovate. And you know his name. You know who he is. He has a reputation. There's a reason why five stars are interested. He has the connections to the NBA. Um, the roster talent is getting better year over year. Um, what the plan that I see forming, even though I've just said, I don't really know what their identity is, right? But you see the amount of talent they're about to bring in into like this recruiting visit, I guess, is like this weekend or next weekend. I don't really know. Um, I don't cover it anymore and I'm going fishing this weekend instead. So it's kind of great. But uh, uh, clearly there's like, you're attracting different talent. Um, and if you give Fred enough time, I think, yeah, it'll slowly build. Now, I don't necessarily believe the same thing about Scott Frost. That might just be my own self getting in the way. Um, I think Fred is a lot closer than, than Frost and that might just be me. Um, but, uh, I think it's safe to say that it is both, annoying that they haven't done well yet um, and that they're still searching for this identity. But um, I don't think the, I mean, I don't think it's like a Mike Riley situation where like 
it was very clear that this like isn't going to work. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I'm quite there yet. Yeah, no, I, I'm fully with you. I mean, I basically, I kind of gave away my opinion. I feel like in the phrasing of the question that I think him coming in and deciding to just offload everybody and have basically a year zero and then having COVID hit. So that way you're denied the ability to really have any true off season training. Um, and then you go into the season and it's discombobulated and tossed all the shreds in terms of, um, you know, making the non-conference work. Uh, if anything, um, as an aside, I feel like basketball in the big 10, having a non-conference season basically just showed how much of a headache that is for schedulers and why it's not worth it for anything else, which whether that's a a good conclusion to draw or not, I I won't. I just, I feel like that's kind of the conclusion they drew from it um, clearly to their expense in in other sports. Um, But I mean that, and then being shut down for over a month in the middle Mm -hmm. of the bulk of the season and frankly, coming into the big 10 when he did was problematic. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's deeper than it's ever been for somebody who's a big 10 lifer. Um, granted, I mean, there's a lot of people with way more age than me who say I'm a big 10 lifer where that means a lot more, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I've, I've followed Michigan state since before the, the 2000 national title. So, I mean, it, it's, Enough to know that it, it's a different league that he came into in uh, his first season at Nebraska than it was in the Big 12 with Iowa State, so to speak. And I, I think um, the best is yet to come, to use that cliche. I mean, the floor for the guy of success is winning one game in the, big, in the NCAA tournament. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry – not to piss off any Nebraska fans that listen to it, but that's one of the lowest bars you can have at a program that has the resources that Nebraska has. But the fact that it hasn't yeah. happened is just like the weird, you know, monkey on your back in the room that everybody always talks about. It, it's it's a weird thing, but the reality is like that's an incredibly low bar to hit. Even Northwestern finally did that in their first try. And yeah. then they botched it with going off to a suburban arena and killed all of their momentum. But, you know, I, I digress on that. But, but you're right. One, it's it's still just completely baffling and, and truly unbelievable that they that Nebraska has done it. Um, it. It's amazing. Like, it's truly amazing. And I feel for lifelong Nebraska, excuse me, Nebraska fans. Um, but here's the main difference. I'll never forget going to the Final Four uh, – and meeting up with Fred and we watched the end of the uh, Virginia oh, Auburn, maybe. Yeah. Virginia, yeah, Auburn, Virginia Auburn, Virginia and royally lucked out on that. Totally. By the way, totally. I remember, I remember watching that game with him, watched that play. They ended up winning and we were talking about the final four and I mean, you have to think about who Fred Hoiberg is, okay? Fred Hoiberg is someone who played for a very successful college basketball program um, at Iowa State when he was there. He was uh, an extremely good basketball player at at that school um, who, while he was probably there, thought he could go to a Final Four and didn't. Uh, He then went to the NBA, was successful in the NBA, um, then was a coach at Iowa State and multiple times – felt like he had a team that was good enough 
listen to me when I'm saying this was good enough to win the conference and win like a, a title. I mean, and this also like the two years that they won the, the big 12 tournament. Um, those were extremely good years for the big 12, extremely good years. And when we're talking like really good K state, Mizzou, KU, Oklahoma state, Oklahoma, buddy heel. I mean, we're talking about great teams and they win it twice. Okay. And then they go and there are three seed in the way tournament. And uh, Fred felt like they had a chance to win the national title that year. I know that I know that he knows that. Okay. The difference between somebody like that who has won in the insulated tournament before, who has had success before, both as a player, as a coach for an extended period of time, okay, who were standing at the Final Four. And I'm like, do you ever feel like you could go to the final four? Or is that something you think about a lot? And he's like, I think about it all the time. It's something I want to do, like whatever. And this is from someone who feels like he has done things in order to get that. Contrast that with, okay, Tim Miles, Doc Sadler, Barry Collier, uh, you know, guys who haven't done it yet. Or if they have, it's been very sparingly. Or if they, I mean, it's just, it's, a dream of them to even like get to the NCAA tournament. You know what I mean? That if they're there and they coach in an NCAA tournament game, boy, this is, this is making their life. Whereas if, if Fred Hoiberg took Nebraska to the, to the NCAA tournament, it'd be another freaking Thursday for him. He's been there and done it. And that's why he was still the right hire because he is not going to get bogged down in the nitty gritty, whatever. He's not going to care if they finish you know, fourth in the NCAA tournament, or excuse me, they finished fourth in the conference and hail that as a success because he's won a conference before he's won the conference tournament before. Like that's, that's the goal. And it's not, um, you know, no offense. It's not Tanner farmer standing at the podium saying Nebraska is going to win a national title or whatever the hell he said that one time that went viral and it's whatever, because that's just like, sorry, but that's bullshit. Like, that's just like, that's just not, that's like saying like, you know what? Yeah. I'm, I'm probably, you know, you give me a chance. I'll probably win a Pulitzer Prize in the next 10 years. No, 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 no. It's ridiculous. Okay. Whereas if you ask someone who's at a major publication, who's covering something of high importance and doing an extremely good job of it saying, yeah, I hope you win a Pulitzer Prize. That makes more sense. You know what I mean? And so that's why, that's why I'm more on board with the Hoiberg thing, even though the success has been uh, not there the last two years than with, Sorry, but Scott Frost, who has been a head coach for five years and had a losing season in four of them, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a, a good comparison is look at the past hires of Nebraska and the guy that you go back to that has a comparable resume coming in as the new hire is all the way back to freaking Harry Good <laughs> in right. 1946. And let's compare this guy's resume for a second to what Hoiberg brings. His best season at Indiana was his third season and final season. He went 18 and three, nine and three in the conference and finished in second place. That was his best season at Indiana for crying mm -hmm. out loud. And, right. and I mean, Hoiberg is head and shoulders better than him, even going back to that era of what you would consider success in the 1945-46 era. I think I had a story about that or a, or a something about that, that Fred was, the, I think Fred was the first, I think he was the first coach to ever be hired that had won an NCAA tournament game. Is that right? 
Um, I, well, by Nebraska, probably. By Nebraska, yeah. By yeah, Nebraska but, oh, yeah, hands down, I'm won it. pretty sure that's right. the case, yeah. And that's why, and that's why, again, it's different. There's a different, and so the whole point of this conversation is, Nebraska, are they putting in, like, what's the difference between when I walked on to cover for the first time and when I left was they have decided it is important because Fred, like hiring Fred Hoiberg, I think I've written this before, but like the hiring of Fred Hoiberg demands, like demands that you take Nebraska basketball seriously. And they brought in, gosh, was it Rick Ross, you know, for that, like for the like basketball practice thing. And it was like, the audio was terrible and it was horrible to write a story while Rick Ross was yelling at you. And there was like, not a lot of people there. But like, that's what you do. That's what a basketball school does. Like they're start, they're trying. What do you do? You, you hire a basketball coach and you pay what, pay him what he needs to be paid. And you tell his assistants to get paid. You know, you pay the assistants what they need to get paid. And you tell the coach, Hey, you don't like the strength coach. Okay, cool. Who do you want? You know what I mean? Like that. And that's, that's the ball is slowly rolling. So if you're building a house, like it's, it's, you have to be patient. And that's kind of where it is with brass basketball, where, they're still trying to figure out a little bit what they're doing, but they're, they've made drastic changes over the last five years in terms of important of like, we're going to decide this is important. And that's where they're at now is, okay, we know this is important. We're financially putting our mouth, your money where our mouth is. We agree. This is the person that it needs to be. Now, how do we go move forward from there? So it's kind of like hiring somebody and hoping that they work out at any job. Um, but there aren't a lot of like things holding them back anymore. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, he, he was one of the major hires at the time and he's one of the best names to hire in a market that frankly, I mean, you're, there aren't a lot of examples of having the type of coaching hire where you can poach, uh, somebody like Chris Beard from Texas tech to come to Texas. Frankly, the only reason Chris Beard left for Texas is because that's his alma mater. I mean, right. you, you you don't you don't poach Roy Williams from Kansas to go to North Carolina every single year. I mean, the the types of coaches that you can hire, there's a small pool, and Hoiberg is the type of name where when he's in the pool, you grab him, and you're happy you got him. Um, I, I I think that that's uh, I. I think that's putting it best, frankly. Um, and with, with that, I think uh, it's time to call a wrap on this one and uh, say thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, if uh, you want to have any parting thoughts for um, how anybody can follow you, if they so choose, uh, feel free to, to put in a plug. Um, uh, I appreciate you having me on. This is fun. Um, I don't get to spend a lot of time thinking about sports anymore, which is actually okay for the most part. Um, but I, pre- this is just fun. It's fun to reminisce about that stuff. Um, and if you guys want to follow me, you can, like, you really don't have to, like, you really don't. Uh, it like, if you're interested in like media literacy and uh, you know, like high school journalism education, and then like the occasional Husker thought uh, I'm on Twitter at heady underscore Chris, but like, I no longer have to make you try and uh, follow me anymore for my job. So like, you really don't have to, that, 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 that's, that's, that's where I land on, on uh, social media nowadays. (laughs) Not a bad place to be. Um, And again, thanks for coming on for our listeners. Uh, If you don't already, please subscribe, be sure to download and subscribe the podcast on whatever platform you prefer. That way you won't miss out on all of our 
somewhat infrequent episodes for the podcast and you'll get all the other great ones with coordination radio follow us on twitter at bangs and dags and myself at sparty on huskers leave a review and most importantly please listen to and share uh thanks everyone and you stay classy